All right, take your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Acts, chapter number 11. The book of Acts, chapter number 11. We're going to continue on in our series on real Christianity. Last week we started lesson number three, didn't get all the way through lesson number three. And so Lord willing, this morning we're going to finish up lesson three. And looking at this topic, the first real Christians or regular people encounter radical truth. Understanding where the term uh, Christian, the definition of Christian comes from is what we've been looking at last Sunday, and we'll look at that as well this Sunday. So in Acts chapter number 11, if you want, go ahead and place a marker there. We're going to look at a couple of different passages uh, today throughout the Sunday school hour. We'll always come back to Acts chapter number 11 and finish up here. But I want to look at some other, uh, some other passages of Scripture to really identify the term Christian, and more so not just identify the term, but really give us an honest definition of what the word Christian means. So in Acts chapter number 11, we're going to pick up reading... In verse number 25, the Bible says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. We began our series uh, looking at Christian and what the term Christian is, or really what real Christianity is, and understanding that a lot of people will claim that they're a Christian, But deep down inside, they have no idea what a real Christian is. And so it behooves us, if we're going to sit here and say, well, I'm a Christian, to really know what a Christian is. No different than if we say, hey, I'm an American. Uh, I'm an American. Well, that's a broad term. What is an American? Define what an American is. Or uh, I'm a Christian. Uh, And so we say, well, that's a broad term. Define what a Christian is. And so when we look at the term Christian or the name Christian, we've got to look at specifically some things that describe Christianity. And so here in Acts chapter number 11, we find the first term here in verse number 26, where the Bible says that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So this is the first place in our Bible where we see the term Christians. You don't see that in the Gospels. You don't see the other disciples calling themselves Christians while they're traveling with Jesus Christ. But you find it here in Acts chapter number 11. And so in order for us to really understand the term Christian, we've got to understand the application of it. And so the Bible says in verse 26, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Well, who were these disciples? These disciples were obviously followers of Jesus Christ. And so we can begin to form, if you would, a a definition of what Christian is. And the definition by, listen, by what we would call ourselves Christians is that this, that we would consider ourselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so last week we got talking and we said, hey, in order for us to really understand this term Christian and be able to define it the way that God desires for us to define it, we really had to answer the question of what is a Christian by asking three different questions. And last week we began with uh, question number one, which was this, would you die for your own lie? And we looked at if, if Christianity and the belief of Christianity was a lie, if it wasn't truth, would you or I or would the disciples be willing to die for it? Obviously the answer is no. We know this by studying the scripture, we don't have the time to go back. Uh, We've got to finish this lesson today. But we know this, that the disciples were transformed by their relationship with Jesus Christ. It wasn't so much that the fact that uh, they heard the teaching and they saw the miracles and they saw the, the walking on the water and they saw the breaking of the bread and the feeding of the 5,000. No, no, there was an honest-to-goodness change within their heart that said, hey, listen, this isn't just fake. This isn't just a lie. No, this is truth. And so, therefore, the disciples were transformed. Transformed to how, Brother Andrew? Well, to the point that they were willing to die for their faith. We know this, that, that many of the disciples, and many of the, uh, not just the apostles, but the disciples of Jesus Christ, gave their life for what they believed. 
And we think about even today in 2020, and we look at our globe and the world, and we think about, man, the coronavirus and all the things that have been affected in the last month, month and a half, and the economy and jobs and schools and everything that's been affected. You realize this morning that there are still those that, they, that are considered, and we would call disciples of Jesus Christ, that are still dying for their faith. There are those that are still being beheaded, those that are still being beaten and stoned. Why? Because they named the name of Jesus Christ. And so we looked at the transformation that took place in the disciples' life, but also we got into the book of Acts and we looked and we saw this. We saw the conversion of the Apostle Paul, or in this passage of Scripture, as we're reading here in Acts chapter number 11, uh, before his name was Paul, was Saul. We know that Saul was on his way to Damascus. He was on his way uh, basically to arrest and to separate families, uh, arrest Christians and throw them in jail, ultimately murder and, and destroy homes. But we know that on that road that Jesus Christ appeared unto Paul and Paul got saved. And we, are, we, we know that the change began in Paul's life when it came to his Christian walk with God. And so we see that the disciples were changed. Then we see that the conversion of Paul takes place. So let's get into point number two this morning. We're going to move along pretty quickly here. Where did the term Christian come from? And we're right here in our text in Acts chapter number 11. So let's look at it again this morning. The Bible says, And then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. So obviously this is Saul. He's been, he's been converted. He, he, has this, he has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he doesn't have the name. His name hasn't been changed from Saul to Paul just yet. And so he's still referred in Acts chapter 11 as Saul. But obviously, just so you know, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. And so the Bible tells us in verse number 25 that Barnabas steps out and he travels to Tarsus. Why? To seek Saul. To seek Saul. And then verse number 26, the Bible says, And when he had found him, who? Saul, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So here, in short order, here's what takes place. Paul, or Saul, is brought into a church in a city called Antioch. Followers of Jesus Christ at this point in time, at this point in Acts chapter number 11, have not just limited themselves to Jerusalem or in a sense Judea, but no, no, no. Uh, Christians, those that believe in Jesus Christ, have began to spread out and to carry the gospel out. I mean, they began to carry out the Great Commission. And so by doing this, there's a church that has been established at Antioch. And so Barnabas goes to Tarsus, he finds Saul, and he says, Saul, listen, I want you to come with me, I'm going to vouch for you. I'm going to speak for you of what God's done in your life and how God's changed your life. But we're going to go to Antioch. And at Antioch, there's an established church. And there's a church there where you can grow, where you can, you can be taught. And you can, you can understand. Listen, I understand not just the grace of God in salvation, but the grace of God to live every single day of your life. And so uh, Barnabas and Saul, they traveled to Antioch. And the Bible says this in verse middle part of verse 26. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. And taught much people. So you got a picture here. What's taking place. And Saul gets saved. He, he's on the road to Damascus. He has this uh, amazing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life is forever changed. We could, we could agree to that. We don't have the time to go back and look. But we know that his life is forever changed. And in the process of his life changing. We've got to take kind of a step back for a second here. We're kind of getting a little ahead of myself. But realize this. That Saul did not have the best testimony. I mean, Saul didn't have the testimony of somebody that loved Christians. Saul didn't have the testimony of somebody that was a champion for the cause of Christ. No, 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 no. Saul had the testimony of one that was going to murder a Christian. Saul had the testimony of one that had wanted nothing to do with God, nothing, sorry, nothing to do with Jesus Christ. He was religious, but he had no relationship with Jesus Christ. And so here comes Barnabas. God puts Barnabas in Saul's life 
so that Barnabas could step out and say, hey, listen, I can vouch for Saul. I can vouch for what God's done in his life. And it's quick to see here that even as they go into the church at Antioch, it takes some time. Notice the Bible says, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves. You know, one of the, one of the most amazing things about real honest-to-goodness salvation is the change that it makes in your life. And I'm not talking about somebody, listen, I'm trying to be, follow me here. I'm not talking about somebody who, who just says a one, two, three, pray after me, hey, I'm saved. And, 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 and there's no change in their life. No, no, no. There was evidence of change in Saul's life. There was evidence. He's, he spent a year at Antioch being discipled. But then the Bible doesn't just say that. Notice what the Bible says here. They assembled together with the church and taught much people. Man, here's, here's Saul, somebody who's, who's religiously educated, somebody who knows about God, but doesn't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He gets saved on the road to Damascus. Now he's going to, he's going to Antioch. He's got Barnabas there. Uh, we would say this, Barnabas is like his, his best friend, if you would. And, and they're, they're in the church, and they're involved in the church, and they're involved in the ministries of the church. And he's involved in growing, and not just in growing, but also at the same time teaching those. Those what? Those new converts. The Bible says the latter part of verse 26 and the disciples were first called, or called Christians first, in Antioch. You see, at first, believers were suspicious of Saul. Hold your place in, in Acts chapter number 11, and turn over to Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9. Let me give you an example here that God gives us in Acts chapter number 9, verse number 26. <clears throat> Actually, let's, yeah, let's, verse number 26. The Bible says this, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem... He is saying to join himself to the disciples. Now this is, this is, listen, this is after Saul's conversion. This is after his conversion. This is after Damascus. This is after the road. This is after being blinded. This is after seeing God work in his life, not just at salvation, but getting his sight back. I mean, this is Saul. He's, he's had all these things take place, uh, Brother Bronner, and he's had all these things take place in his life. And, and he, what does he do? He goes back to Jerusalem because he's intelligent. He knows that's where the beginning is. He knows he's, he's remembering Pentecost. He's remembering Stephen. He's remembering uh, the epicenter, if you would, of the Christian faith. And so he goes back to Jerusalem. And notice what the Bible says here. It says, he is saying to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They were all afraid of him. <clears throat> I'm not going to name any names this morning, but could you think of maybe somebody in society, maybe a politician, Maybe a musician, maybe a movie star. Uh, just think of somebody, just somebody. Somebody who, who you would say, man, they, they are not a champion for the cause of Christ. They want nothing to do with God. They want nothing to do with the church. They want nothing to do with my rights. They want nothing to do with my religious liberty. Whoever it is, you, you picture someone. And then you picture this whole band being lifted. And they come walking in the door. First Sunday, we're all able to meet together. And they walk up to Pastor, to Brother Mike, or Brother Rick, or Brother Mike, or Brother Mike. We got a lot of Brother Mikes in church here. Whoever it is, they walk on up and say, hey, uh, I'm, and you're like, I know who you are. Like, hey, I just want to let you know that a couple weeks ago I was watching your live stream, and man, I got convicted. And I realized that I was lost, and I realized that hell was my home, and I realized that I never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and, and you know what? I, I, I knelt down and I got saved. I mean, we would kind of be like, praise the Lord. I mean, we'd kind of be a little shocked, maybe. Let's be honest. I mean, you're picturing someone in your mind, maybe an individual, uh, a certain person. You know, their, you know their background. You know what they do for a living. You know the things they've said, the comments they've made. Uh, you'd kind of be a little shocked and maybe a little apprehensive. I mean, you might be a little apprehensive of like, okay, well, 
what are you doing here at Riverside Baptist Church? I mean, like, you're kind of a long ways from home, or whatever the case is. And so we'd be a little bit apprehensive. We'd be a little bit like, I'm going to watch this person and see if they're, they're real, they're legitimate. And so here in Acts chapter number 9, look at, the, look at the church here, verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he is said to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They were all afraid of him. Now notice what the Bible says, and believe not that he was a disciple. And you're not really saved, Saul. There's, there's, there's no way, Saul. And that story, that story, Brother Brown, that story of the Damascus Road and, and Jesus appearing and, and saying, why kick us out against the priest? Man, that is a great story, but we know, we know your background. We know your testimony. We know what you do for a living. We know what you've done. We, listen, we have families in our church that have been affected because of you. That's really kind of reading between the lines there what's taking place. Look what the Bible says, latter part of verse 26. And believe not that he was a disciple. But look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Here's the amazing thing. Here's Barnabas. Barnabas steps in. He goes, okay, guys, here, listen. Uh, let me let you in on a little secret. Uh, he's not telling a story. He's not telling a lie. No, no, no. What happened on the road to Damascus, that's real. Uh, that's not fake. That's a true, that's true. That's a true account. But more than that, here's the other thing, guys. Um, he didn't just get saved, but no, 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 no. He preached. Look what the Bible says. Look at verse 27. It says, uh, and how he had, look at the latter part, how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of who? Jesus. I find it interesting here that, that the Bible records, and not, it doesn't say this, and he preached at Damascus. It doesn't say that he preached at Damascus. What does the Bible say? He preached boldly. You realize this morning that every time we name the name of Jesus Christ, and every time we preach against sin, every time we preach against wickedness, every time we're teaching, and whether it's in Sunday school, one-on-one uh, -on -one discipleship, personal devotions, listen, parents, our kids, grandparents, your grandkids, whatever. Listen, every time we preach Jesus Christ, every time we preach against sin, every time we preach against an ungodly and unholy lifestyle, listen, we've got to do it boldly. Because here's the effect that took place. Look at verse number 28. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Barnabas said, hey guys, listen, Paul got saved, but it wasn't just the fact that Paul got saved, but Paul preached. Hey, amen, amen. No, 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 no. He preached boldly. You ever been to a service where there's a guy up there preaching? And man, you can just tell he's preaching boldly. He's got the power of God on his life. He's got the fire of God in his heart. And he is just preaching boldly the word of God. And I'm not, I'm not saying that he's preaching in the sense of being mean and, and hateful to the congregation. No, 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 no. But he's preaching passionately. He's preaching boldly. That's exactly what Paul had done in Damascus. And Barnabas stood up and said, I've seen it. It's, it's, not, it's not, nope, nope, it's not fake. It's not phony. You say, why is that so significant, Brother Andrew? Because you do realize this, that uh, Saul at this point in time was headed to Damascus to arrest and to murder Christians. And here he is, he gets saved and goes to Damascus, and what does he do? He doesn't say, lock them up. He doesn't say, separate those families. He doesn't say, go to jail. No, you know what he says? Hey, Jesus wants to save you just like he saved me back down that road. No, no, he says, hey, God wants to work in your life like he did in my life. Let me tell you what God did for me. Let me tell you the direction that God has chosen for my life. Let me tell you all the things that God wants to do with my life. That's preaching boldly. And so here we have this story where the, where they, they, the, the disciples at first in Jerusalem were like, 
I don't, I don't think so, Saul. Uh, you're just, something's not adding up. Go back to Acts chapter number 11. So here we get this uh, interaction in Acts chapter number 11 between Barnabas and Saul and then the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch. <clears throat> you see, the church at Antioch, uh, the believers had genuine unity and sincere compassion. As you study the scriptures, you'll find traits about the church at Antioch that are very unique. And one of the things you'll find is their genuine unity and sincere compassion. Uh, in my notes here, I have written down, they were a truly a great church doing a great work, even amidst all the threat of persecution and problems. Just because Saul gets saved, and just because Saul is no longer in the sense, uh, in, in the hand of the religious leaders of the day and the Jews, and no, no, just because Saul's not there anymore, not, not murdering and not uh, arresting Christians, doesn't mean somebody else didn't step up and do the same thing. Listen, just because Saul got saved doesn't mean there's not others out there that are still just as passionate about destroying and, and murdering Christians as Saul used to be before his salvation. So there's still some persecution going on. There's still some, there's still some uh, 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 apprehension, if you would, about society. And, and society is listening to these quote-unquote Jesus followers, and they're hearing their message, and, and they're a little apprehensive of what's taking place. You see, this church made a massive difference, so much so that outsiders were talking about what was taking place. Look at verse number 19 of Acts chapter number 11. Go back a couple of verses from our text we read this morning. And look at Acts chapter number 11, verse number 19. The Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So here's what God tells us. Stephen's stoned. He's, he's, he's martyred. Listen, he's martyred for his faith and his belief in Jesus Christ. And he's, he's martyred for going against the established religion, the established, if you would, the established doctrine of the Jewish faith. And so he's martyred. And in, listen, instead of everybody being quiet, and everybody being kind of like afraid, and everybody being in quarantine or locked at home, no, no, what does the Bible say? Look what the Bible says, verse number 19. Uh, they were scattered abroad upon the persecution. Because of the persecution of Stephen, uh, the Christians said this, praise the Lord, let's keep preaching. Let's keep moving on out. But notice the Bible says here, it wasn't just that they were on the outskirts of Jerusalem. No, no, it says traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spoken to the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So here's the gospel. It's getting, it's getting declared. And, I, and I was, I was, as I was reading this this week, thinking about this, you know, in the last month, there's been a lot of conversation about religious liberty, religious rights, uh, restrictions that can get put on, you know, places like churches. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to get in the middle of all that this morning. It's not the point of the Sunday school lesson. But it got me thinking this week as I was reading and praying and studying is this. If, if push comes to shove and somebody told me, hey, listen, Andrew, you can't read your Bible anymore, would I say, okay, or would I keep reading my Bible? If somebody said, hey, you can't, you can't teach your children the faith. You can't teach your children doctrine. You can't teach your children that Jesus Christ is the only way. Would I just simply roll over and go, okay. No, no, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a legitimate question to ask ourselves this morning because we're in a day and age that we've never experienced before. Never experienced before. And so we think this morning, man, you know, my religious liberties, my rights, my rights, my, you know, our church needs a congregation. Listen, what about the personal level? How's your walk with God right now? Now we're talking about real Christianity. We're talking about a real relationship rather than just, uh, uh, just using a term or giving us a label, if you would. 
And so would I, even in under, under dire circumstances and under persecution and fear of being arrested, would I then still name the name of Jesus Christ? But let's take it a step further. Notice in our text here this morning, in verse number 21 of chapter 11, the Bible says this, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So here's, here's what's taken place. The story, and you got to realize, this is before internet, this is before social media, this is before cell phones, obviously. And so the, 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 the account of what took place with Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, and the martyrdom of Stephen, it's traveled up to Antioch. It's traveled to these, these other places. It's traveled to Cyprus. It has traveled around. People know what has gone on. People know the persecution. People have heard the stories of Saul and maybe the others. They've, they've heard all the stories of the persecution. Yet, the Bible tells us here in verse number 21 that the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed. There were still those that were like, you know, I, I, know, what's, I know what the possibilities, I know what the outcome is, but I'm still going to preach and teach Jesus Christ. So it got me thinking this this morning, would I still be bold in my faith if somebody said, no more? Listen, if somebody came in and said, hey, listen, uh, no more. No more church, no more bus ministry, no more vacation Bible school, no more tea nights on Thursday night, no more none of that. Would we just kind of roll over or... You know, or would we still say, hey, praise the Lord, I'm still going to go out witness, I'm still going to be a testimony, I'm still going to be an example, I'm still going to name the name of Christ, I'm still going to teach my children uh, that they ought to walk in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so here, here Saul and Barnabas, they attach themselves to the church at Antioch. And as they do this, we realize this, verse number 26, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You see, the, the term Christian means this. It means a follower of Christ, or we could say it like this, to be like Jesus. So <clears throat> let's kind of just kind of time out for just a second here. The term Christian is very, very specific, very specific. You know, we, uh, we talked, I made mention earlier, earlier ago about being an American and understanding that an American, being an American identifies me as what? Well, obviously, Brother Andrew, being an American. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't stand up here and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm English. I'm not an English or a citizen of England or Wales or Scotland or Northern Ireland. I'm, no, no, I'm an American. I identify specifically me as an American. So in the sense of this, this term Christian means a follower of Christ or like Jesus. If I was to say, hey, uh, Brother Joe, I'm a Christian, by definition of the term Christian, and by definition here in verse number 26, it would mean this, that I... Andrew Rodriguez, am a follower of Jesus Christ. Or we could say it like this, that I, Andrew Rodriguez, am to be like Jesus Christ. It was intended at this point in time, in a sense, to be derogatory. It was in no ways a, a, a death tag, or sorry, in many ways it was a death tag, a, a warrant for imprisonment or persecution and martyrdom. There's the Christians, there's the Christians, they're the ones causing the problems. They're the ones uh, uh, with, the, with the issues. And if you remember, a couple weeks ago, Brother Jimmy Wolfram was preaching. He, he talked about Nero and the, and the burning of Rome and, and the effect that it had on the Christians as Nero blamed that on, on Christians. Listen, the term Christian at this point in time wasn't something that people were walking around going, hey, bless God, I'm a Christian. No, no, at this point in time, it was in the say, it was supposed to be derogatory. supposed to be negative. You see, no one would have chosen this tag Christian unless they truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead. No one would take the term Christian and use it for political gain. No, 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 no. You don't find that in Scripture. You don't find that in the book of Acts. You don't find that in the early churches. 
You don't find them saying, okay, well, I'm going to claim to be a Christian so I can get the vote, or I can get the following, or I can get the big contract, or I can have this, 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 this appearance, this facade about me. No, no, no. They took the term Christian and were called Christians because they put their faith in Jesus Christ regardless of society, regardless of culture, regardless of, of Rome, regardless of the Jewish zealots at the time. They said, listen, I'm going to name myself as a Christian. Why? Because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And by doing so, if you would, they put, in a sense, a target on their back. You see, to become a Christian in Acts chapter number 11 was not, a benef- was not beneficial for financial, political, or personal gain. You see, jobs would be lost, relationships would be broken, homes would be pl- uh, pillaged, families would be murdered, businesses would be shut down, and friends would be betrayed. Arrest, torture, imprisonment, and death, all of this and more would be the result of becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> There's often a book, I know pastors mention it many times from the pulpit, uh, the book Trail of Blood. <clears throat> and you read about the martyrs and those that have gone before us who've given their life for the cause of Christ. Listen, for this book, for the truth that is found within this book. Listen, we kind of use the badge sometimes as Christian like, Brother Joe, I'm a Christian, man. Oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Brother Bronner, oh, I'm a Christian. No, no, no. We don't realize sometimes the sacrifice that has been made to name the name of Christ. Sometimes we kind of look at our salvation in a sense and what Jesus did on the cross and we're like, man, I feel so unworthy and so overwhelmed. And absolutely, we, sh- we should. But I realize this, that studying for this and thinking about this is that there have been thousands if not millions who have lived, breathed, died for the cause of Christ. Who have stood up and said, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Would you recant that? No. I'm a Christian. Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior, and I'm not ashamed of it. Man, how many of us this morning could stand, listen, could stand tied to a post, getting ready to burn alive and not recant? How many of us this morning with a gun to our head, not recant? Listen, we think this morning, man, I, yeah, man, such great persecution going on in America. You know, my religious, no, 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 no. Let's put all that aside. Look at it this morning. The disciples, verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So what does a Christian mean? What does a Christian mean? With all this beautiful story of brokenness and blessing behind us, uh, what is the accurate definition of a Christian? If we say a Christian is a follower of Christ, if they're a believer of Jesus. And so kind of this morning, and we're going to wrap it up here, I want us to lay aside the modern misdefinitions, if you would, and and kind of the mindset of an evangelical type mindset of a Christian. And, and so here's what happens. When we think Christian in today's society, and I was reading a little bit this morning, when we think Christian in today's society, we will just simply go, well, they believe in Jesus Christ. And that's true. That's true. But that's kind of where it starts and stops. There's no real relationship, no real depth. And I, I'm thinking even this morning about those preachers who down through the years and even just recently, within the last 10, 20 years, have been given a platform in American society on national TV and have been pointedly asked about their faith in Jesus Christ and they've not taken advantage of that opportunity. They've not taken advantage of the opportunity to really define to American people what a real Christian is. So let's define what a real Christian is. Number or Letter A there. It says this, a Christian is a sinner. A Christian is a sinner. You see, before you can be a Christian, you must be broken, 
a broken, sinful person who needs a Savior, like every man and every woman who's ever lived. Until you see yourself in true need of a Savior, you will never really see Jesus Christ as the Savior He is. You will always try to impress Him, earn Him, or somehow get to God on your own terms. In truth, I'm much smaller than I want to believe, and Jesus is much bigger than I want to believe. So let's let the truth of God's Word sink in. Hold your place in Acts chapter number 11. Turn over to Romans chapter number 3. The book of Romans chapter number 3. To give you an example this morning, many of us know these verses, but I want those that are maybe watching at home, I know we have people that watch on Facebook and YouTube that, uh, that are not here, not at, at church in the sense of in St. Joseph, uh, they're somewhere else either in America or around the world, and maybe they're looking at a Bible on their phone or on an iPad or got a Bible in their hand. I want you to see what God says here in Romans chapter number 3, look at verse number 23. Let's let the truth of God's word sink in for a second. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, that's a pretty familiar verse. I mean, that's a pretty, I mean, that's a verse many of us know. And here's the deal, Brother Brown. We always try to complicate it. Now, I'm not, I'll be honest with you, my worst, my worst subject in school was English. Hated English. Can't stand English. Man, I went to Bible college and I had to take remedial English. Worst year of my life. But notice what the Bible says, verse number 23. The Bible says, for what? All. For all. Now, I'm not a genius, I'm, I don't have a very high IQ, but I know this, that the word all means what? All. Everything. Everyone. No one's exempt. So the Bible tells me this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that means? It means I've sinned. Brother Bronner, you sinned. Brother Joe, you sinned. Hey, it means pastor sinned. Hey, listen, it means the Apostle Paul or Saul in our text here in Acts 7, it means he sinned. You see, the thing is this, is we've got to realize that a Christian has got to recognize you're a sinner. We make mistakes. Uh, we fall short. Listen, even as a Christian, we fall short. Even as a Christian, listen, I didn't get saved, and all of a sudden I'm like, Whoo, man, I'm not a sinner anymore. Woo, man, praise the Lord. No, no, no. There's plenty of people that have testified, Brother Andrew, you're still a sinner. But the point is this, in order for me to be a Christian, in order for me to understand Christianity, I've got to recognize this, I'm a sinner. But not just there in Romans chapter 3. Go over to Romans chapter number 5. Look at Romans chapter number 5. This should be a page or two on over in your Bible. Romans chapter number 5. Notice what the Bible says here in verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. For the sake of time, we don't have, we don't have time this morning, but we know this, this passage is speaking about Adam. We know Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And because of the sin, there was, there was separation between them and God. So the Bible says, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Well, Brother Andrew, you don't understand. I'm alive. I mean, you're alive. You're up there preaching, teaching this morning. I'm, I'm sitting at home, or I'm sitting in the auditorium, or I'm sitting in the car, whatever the case is, and, and I'm alive. No, no. The Bible's talking about spiritual death. And so there's a spiritual death that has taken place that when I, listen, when I was born, I wasn't born, and then, okay, two or three years later, I became a sinner. No, no, no. I was born already. June 22nd, 1983, as a sinner. The moment I was born, the moment I, was, I, I breathed my first breath of, of life out here on this earth, I was a sinner. And because of that, the Bible says this in verse number 12, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Because of that, there's a, there's a day that I'm physically going to die, but listen, at the same time, I'm spiritually dead because of my sin. So I've got to recognize in order to become a Christian that I am a sinner. The number two, or letter B here on our notes, it says a Christian is... Not only a sinner, but a Christian is a believer and a receiver. 
You see, a Christian is someone who has come to heart faith in Jesus Christ as a resurrected God-man. To be a Christian, you must choose to believe that Jesus Christ is God's only answer for your sin. Listen, not religion, not church, not good works, not your best efforts, not your mom and dad, not your grandpa and grandma, not your spouse, not your kids, not your career. No, no, no. You must come sinful, failing, needing, and crying this. God, I need your mercy because I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Go over to John chapter number 3, another familiar passage of Scripture. John chapter number 3. A few more passages of Scripture I want us to look at this morning. John chapter number 3. You see, we have, you and I have nothing which to bargain with God. I, I, can't, I cannot say, okay, God, I, I'll give you this if you'll give me eternal life. God, I'll give you this if you give me salvation. No, 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 no. Jesus can offer, sorry, I can offer only Jesus Christ one thing, myself. Myself and myself alone. Look at John chapter number three. Look at verse number 15. The Bible says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, that's, that's, a pretty, that's pretty profound. Look at it. It says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, that's great. Brother Ron, that's a good verse. Uh, here's the next verse. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Uh-oh. That he gave. You didn't give. Listen, I got, I got two boys, Micah and Levi. Love my boys. But you know, I, I, I didn't give my boys so I could get saved. I didn't give my boys so I could have a home in heaven. No, 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 I didn't. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to give my boys so that you can have a home in heaven. But here's the amazing thing. God gave his only begotten son for you. Look what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, who? Him. Believeth in who? Jesus Christ. Listen, not believing in a religion, not believing in, in, in a sense, in a, in a doctrine or a philosophy. No, no, no. Believeth in him. Jesus Christ should not perish, but have everlasting life. Acts chapter 10, verse number 43, the Bible tells us this. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, Jesus Christ's name, whosoever believeth in him, shall receive remission of sins. John chapter 1, verse number 12, the Bible says this, but as many as received him, who, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Romans chapter 10, verse number 10, the Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, you don't become a Christian because of your family heritage, your church attendance, your baptism, your casual mental assent, you don't become a Christian because of your intellect, because of your IQ, because of your money, because of any of those things. No, no, no. You become a Christian by personally becoming a believer and a receiver of the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You know, one of the things about Riverside Baptist Church is when you come to Riverside Baptist Church, and maybe you're watching, you've never been here, or maybe you're watching and you do come here. One of the things that you'll find in Riverside Baptist Church, it doesn't matter if you're in the auditorium like we are this morning, doesn't matter if you're in the individual Sunday school classes, if you're in an adult class, you're in a kid's class, you're in junior church, Patch the Pirate. doesn't matter what activity is going on here. One of the things you'll find here at Riverside Baptist Church is this, is the application and the principle of salvation is the same. It's the same. So what do you mean by that, Brother Andrew? Listen, what we're preaching and teaching here about salvation, putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, it's, not, it's not just because it's on live stream or not just because it's in the main auditorium. No, 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 no. This is the same message that's preached during vacation Bible school or during junior church or in Sunday school or on the bus routes or at youth camp or whatever the case is. 
the same gospel message. You and I are sinners in need of a Savior. But then lastly, number letter C there, a Christian not only is a believer and a receiver, but letter C, a Christian is a follower. You see, a Christian is a person who seeks to follow Jesus Christ in a personal relationship with Him after coming to salvation by faith. One of the neat things, you study the life of Paul, and you study the life of Paul, and not just his conversion, but you study his life after his conversion. Man, it gets exciting. This isn't a study on the life of Paul. I mean, maybe one, one time during Sunday school we may do that, or pastor may say, hey, I'm going to preach a series on the life of Paul. But man, you study Paul's conversion, and then you study his life after his conversion, and you see the effect. Listen, you see the effect that God had in his life. You know what it does to me? It kind of makes me wonder, like, man, God, have you had that effect on my life? Have I been as yielded and as willing for you to have that effect on my life after my salvation? I mean, Paul's just like you and I, Brother Joe. Paul's a sinner. I mean, he describes himself as the chiefest of sinners. Yet he got saved. He grew. He got discipled. He, he surrendered to God. Said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm, I'm willing to do it. And look what God, look at how God used him. Man, what a, what a thought this morning that if I would just follow God, if I would just follow Jesus Christ, man, the way that Paul or the way that Saul followed Jesus Christ, man, what God could do. Listen, not for my glory, not for mine, but all for his. Think about all the people that were saved because of Paul's preaching. Think about all the churches that were established. Listen, think about, think about this part of the Bible. <laughs> this part right here that we have that Paul penned and that he wrote. Think about all the great doctrines. Think about the books of the Bible that we're reading. And, 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 and even this morning as we're reading through these passages of Scripture. Think about all those passages of Scripture that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned on down. Man, what a thought to think this morning that being a Christian is more than just being in a sense, uh, recognizing that I'm a sinner, recognizing that I need to receive Jesus Christ and believe in Jesus Christ. No, no, no. Being a Christian is more than that. It's, it's, it's being also a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, in Acts chapter number 11, our text here, the Bible says, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Why were they called Christians? Brother Joe, Brother Bronner, you know why? Because they followed Jesus Christ. It wasn't one of those things where they were walking down the streets of Antioch going, and there's just something different about them. And they must have had a really good meal last night. No, no, no. That's one of them Christians. Look at them. I mean, they, got a, they got a joy about their life. Man, look at them. Look at how they're dealing. Look at, look at how they're walking. Man, look at how they're, man, they're turning their eyes. They're not saying dirty things. They're not saying mean things. They're, they got a good spirit. Man, that's a Christian. No, no. That's what it ought to be. That's, that ought to be how we're described as Christians. You see, the biblical account of the term Christian shatters a lot of misrepresentations. So here's some misrepresentations I want to go through real quick, and we'll wrap it up. Number one, these were not necessarily religious people. You see, some became Christians and were saved from man-made religion, but in the choice to become Christians, they were following a crucified, risen person, a person who is alive. They were entering into a relationship with a living Savior. You see, being a Christian, it's not about being religious. There's lots of religious people in our world today. Just turn on the TV, open up Facebook, read some Twitter, uh, Twitter tweets, whatever the case is. Somebody who describes himself as a Christian, man, no, 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 no. Being a Christian is more than religion. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's another misrepresentation. Well, they were definitely not good people. You know, the worst kind of people become followers of Jesus Christ. This was not a sect of highly disciplined social achievers. No, this was a ragtag band of messy misfits. 
They were not working to be saved. That's another misrepresentation. You see, there were, they were not people, these were not people who believed in doing a bunch of religious stuff, a bunch of religious acts and sacrifices and, and prayers and, and fastings, all these things to be saved from sin. You see, religion had failed them, and they had failed religion. Performance was something they had, been give, they had given up, and they were coming to Jesus empty-handed. You know where a lot of people struggle in their, in their, we'll say it like this in a broad term, their Christian life? Is that right there? They're thinking their Christian life is dependent upon them and upon what they can do. You know, my, my walk, my relationship with Christ is dependent upon Him. It's dependent upon what He's done in my heart and in my life as I put my faith and trust in Him. Here's another misrepresentation. They were not working to stay saved. You see, these were not people working to keep or maintain their standing with God. They were not trying to keep themselves saved. Their salvation was secured by Jesus and in Jesus forever. You get those people, like maybe in your family, maybe you work with, and you're like, oh, you're not doing that just because you're a Christian. Oh, you're just trying to be holier than that. Uh, listen, I don't do what I do so I can one day walk into heaven. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I don't try to live godly. I, and listen, and, and, and still with the mindset of this, man, I'm still going to make mistakes. I'm still a sinner. I don't do those things so that I can work my way to heaven. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not me. That's not the Christian, Andrew. Can't be. It's not biblical. And then, lastly, they were not casually adopting a social tag. You see, becoming a follower of Jesus wasn't a, quote, try and see type of thing. We are blessed to have a culture where Christianity is viewed as tolerable or even favorable. But this would have been a foreign concept to first century Christians. I was thinking about this week, about all the things that have taken place in the last month, month and a half, and the ability for us to live stream, and the ability for us to to, for pastors' ponderings and the ability for us to message one another. And they didn't have this at that time. They didn't have this at that time. So you can only imagine the persecution that maybe took place and as early Christians would gather daily, daily, gather to meet and to fellowship and to see Romans and to see the Jewish leaders of the day destroy houses and destroy places of worship. And be looking over at your brother or sister in Christ and knowing that you identified with them, it, they put two and two together. And at this point in time, you could be arrested and ultimately put to death. They weren't just casually trying to be, quote unquote, a Christian. You see, the term Christian is not what you may think it is. If you're not a Christian, I hope this morning you'll become one before it's too late. So what do you mean by that, Brother Andrew? That you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But if you're a believer this morning... I hope these lessons have called you back to a point in your life where you remember your first love. And not just the fact that Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem and lived a perfect sinless life, but that He died on the cross and shed His blood for the forgiveness of your sin as well as my sin. And also this, that He was buried, that He rose again, and that now He sits on the right hand of God. And then think about all those throughout the years that great cloud of witnesses that have stayed true for the cause of Christ. Listen, this morning, being a real Christian or real Christianity is more than just the phrase Christian attached to us. No, no, no. It's recognizing I'm a sinner. It's believing and receiving what God has done for me. But also at the same time, and we all struggle with this, it's following God. Everything God wants us to do. It's saying, Lord, here am I. Picture it now, my, my mind, Paul. Paul saying, Barnabas, what do I do? Barnabas, what do I do? Brothers and sisters of Christ, what do I do? 
And here's what they're saying. Paul, just surrender to God, whatever God wants. Father, we thank you again for this morning, the time and privilege we've had to be in Sunday school hour this morning. We're thankful for Jesus Christ, not just, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin, but, God, for the relationship that we can have with him. And I'm thankful, June 10th, 1991, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And my relationship with you, with Jesus Christ, began that day. And throughout all these years, the things that you have done for me, Lord, the, the areas of my life that you've convicted me on, that you've instructed me in, Lord, the answered prayer, just the times you've put your arms around me. Lord, I pray this morning that as people have sat in and listened and watched, that they would earnestly search their heart whether or not they are really a Christian. And if they're not, I pray they'd reach out to someone and get that settled before it's eternally too late. Then for those of us that do claim the name of Jesus Christ, I pray this morning that we are representing the term, the name Christian, like we ought to. We're not just a believer, we're not just a sinner and a receiver, but Lord, we're also a follower. And by being a follower, Lord, we're not holding back. We are just simply saying to you, I surrender all. Pray now for the preaching hour, that you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for Sunday school. We'll have about a 10, 15 minute break, and then we'll start the Sunday morning service. Thank you.